0: To be a difference maker, man. Hey, have y'all heard uh, that little s'mores has been found? Are y'all start following the sto- story of s'mores? I'm not talking about the chocolate marshmallow, I'm talking about the little chihuahua. Check this out. After a hundred and I've been following this as saga. After 190 days on the run, s'mores the dog is back home. The chihuahua mix got loose from his family way back on June 11th. When he first went missing, we actually caught him on some trail cameras playing with some baby foxes. Since then, S'mores has been on the run, spotted all over the west side of Cincinnati. For a little seven to eight pound dog, he just traveled an incredible distance while he was out, said Don Korsmeyer of Lost Pet Recovery. But volunteers from that organization and the uh, uh, Humane Society never gave up chasing and looking for s'mores, even though he was always one step ahead of them. He was too smart, too savvy, he just avoided us like the plague. But on December 18th, volunteers took a call from a woman in Westwood. All good things come from Westwood. She pointed him out in the yard, he's curled up in a little ball, you could barely see him sticking up above the high grass, she's like, he's right there sleeping. And using a laundry basket, they were able to catch little S'mores. S'mores is here to tell you he's a survivor. Just amazing. The busy roads he's walked down miles a day. At one point during his journey, they said, witnesses saw S'mores get hit by a pickup truck and kept on going. It just doesn't get any better than keeping him safe. So S'mores has been reunited with his family. Can I hear an amen for S'mores. Now, if finding s'mores brought some passion and some amens and some claps and applause, imagine locating a human who has been lost. See, finding lost things is close to the heart of God. And I want to talk about that today online. And those of you in the room, my name is David. Welcome to Whitewater. Finding lost things is close to the heart of God. In fact, he specializes in it. I mean, just look at some of y'all. I mean, look how far God had to do. Look at me, how far God had to go to find us. You may have heard already, but in 2021, we are getting back to the basics, back to the fundamentals of our church, something that might be helpful right now. Don't you agree? It seems like in this world of chaos, everybody has gone off the rails. Someone posted this week, I'd like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced a free seven-day trial, and I'm not interested. <laughs> I get that. So today, I want to start with a question, okay? Think now. Some of y'all have been to church for a long, long time. Some of y'all brand new, and you're thinking, what in the world have I got myself into? Chihuahuas, and here's the question for you. What is or was the best sermon that you ever heard? What is or was the best sermon you ever heard? Besides this one right here. Uh, No. Now listen, I'm a preacher. I listen to sermons all day. I don't really like listening to myself, but I'm a student of sermons. I heard about a preacher who was the guest speaker at a church, and during his sermon, there was a fellow on the front row when he was preaching Whoever so often would say out loud, that's the worst sermon I ever heard. That's the worst sermon I ever heard. It's kind, you know, kind of a distraction. But the guy kept going, and after the sermon, the guest preacher asked the host preacher about that guy on the front row. He said, oh, don't worry about him. He's a little crazy. He just goes around repeating what he hears everybody else say. <laughs> I've had a few of those front guy people, not Jim up here, but a few of those people. Well, today we begin a year-long overview of the greatest sermon I've ever heard. The greatest sermon, arguably, that anybody has ever preached, and I've heard a lot. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and the speaker is Jesus Christ himself, and it's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You're going to start reading Matthew 5, 6, 7, Start reading that now. You're going to know that better than the sparkle box by the time the year is over. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you think we've got problems in this world, I have an answer for you. Matthew 5, 6, 7. If you think you've got, those of you tuning in or those of you in this room, you think I got problems in this 2021, I want to send my subscription back. I have an answer for you. Matthew 5, 6, 7. There's nothing that you will face in this life that cannot be addressed by Matthew 5, 6, 7. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this sermon, Jesus describes what life in the kingdom should and could be like, what it means to be the ultimate difference maker. And I'm just telling you right now, what if Jesus really meant what he said when he said it in Matthew 5, 6, 7? So today I want to kind of give an introduction to that, uh, JT, John's going to come back next week and unpack it more, but I want to focus on the two metaphors that Jesus uses to introduce this concept of following him and what it's like to be a difference maker in the kingdom of God. And interestingly enough, it has everything to do with finding that which is lost or dull or in the dark, which after the events that occurred this week in our capital, would you not agree? could not be more vital, relevant, and needed than what I see unfolding before my eyes. We have lost our ever-loving minds for so many reasons. What's the answer? Matthew 5, 6, 7. Uh, let me read it to you where we're going to be today and over the next month. It's found in Matthew 5, <clears throat> Excuse me, verse number 13. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. Two metaphors, see if you can catch it. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are also the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify yourself on earth. See your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus uses two metaphors here, salt and light. Why? I want to explore that for a few minutes. The first metaphor, salt. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Now, some of y'all got a big salt shaker like this, Morton. Some of y'all got little ones. There is like, uh, you know, salt seasoning. There's sea salt, all kinds of salt. Some of you are like, well, this is, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. Some of you are like, I'm good because I've been told I'm quite salty. That's not what we're talking about. Notice he says, you are the salt of the earth. Not ordained clergy, not those with a Bible college degree, not people who've just been Christians for years and know a lot about the Bible. In fact, you want to tell you a little insider secret I've noticed? More Bible knowledge does not make you deeper. It just makes you smarter. And sometimes it makes you worse salt and light. There is no corollary between Bible knowledge and a guarantee of stronger salt and broader light, brighter light. In fact, it should compel us to be better. But the scribes and the Pharisees knew the scripture more than anybody. And I'm pretty sure they weren't light and salt. They were salty. So notice you are, all of you watching, in person or online, you are are the salt of the earth. And notice it is present tense. Not you might be, you can be, you will be, you are now. You might be bad salt. You might be good salt. But being salt is not what you do. It's who you are. It's how you breathe in every day of your life. Now, let me give you just a couple of ideas uh, to whet your appetite about the things that salt and light does. Again, JT will unpack it more next week. Number one, as I look at salt, I see that salt preserves, salt preserves. In Jesus' day, salt kept things pure. Long before there was frigid air, things were packed in salt to prevent spoiling. Salt has always been associated historically with purity. Now, I just want to hasten to say this. You think it's bad now in our culture. Think of what the world would look like if you took out all of the true Christians from this world and our society. You think it's bad now. You take out those of us who are Christ followers, who are salt and light, and you talk about decadence. You talk about further decay. Sometimes the world laughs at Christians. (laughs) They ought to be thanking us (laughs) for staying in this world because it would be a lot worse than it is now. Salt preserves. Number two, salt adds flavor and zest. I like a lot of salt on my food. Say, David, that's a problem. Yeah, it is. It spices things up. I mean, what would corn on the cob or popcorn be without salt, right? Christians, likewise, were supposed to add this fun and enjoyment to life. But sadly, often, tragically, just the opposite occurs. Christians are not known to add salt. They're known for like being the cosmic killjoys of the universe, all right? Oliver Winder Holmes, who was former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, this is what he said one day. He said, I might have entered the full-time ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked at and acted so much like undertakers. I apologize if I come across that way as a clergy member. As I often say, some Christians are happy they just haven't told their face yet. Would someone know you're a Christian by looking at your position and your disposition right now? Or would they say, well, like, I don't know who they are, but I don't want anything to do with them. Now, you've got to use salt seasoning. We'll talk a little cooking next week. But you've got to lose, use it in measure, right? Too much salt ruins things. We can't dump too much of Christ on someone who's not quite ready for it. It ruins the taste. Being salt means being wise in how you apply and season your food and season relationships in Jesus Christ. It's what my friend Terry Beth Faust used to call salt to taste. That's what you want. Number three, though, salt preserves. It adds its flavors. zest. Salt melts. Pretty soon in Ohio, I have bad news for you. We will be spreading more salt outside. That's why I hate winter. But the salt of God's love applied at just the right season in a person's life can soften and melt the hardest heart. I've seen it happen with some of you. Some of you watch it online, like when you first started coming, you're like, bless me. See if you can bless me. I dare you. You're not getting through. But over time, that seasoning, that salt, that savior baked into your life. And now like you're on fire telling everybody about Jesus, telling everybody about somebody who can change anybody. Salt melts. Salt also makes you thirsty. See, theater owners know that. Movie popcorn makes you buy movie pop. That's what I'm saying. In fact, I'm convinced, especially pre-COVID, that they ain't even in the business of selling tickets. They just make their money off concessions, especially when you take grandkids. But when you get a taste of God's love, you thirst for more. There's this thing called hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Also, salt is valuable. In Jesus' day, soldiers were paid often with salt. In fact, our word, salary, comes from salt, the, that word. So your witness and your availability is extremely valuable. But then Jesus asked a question in the middle of the salt conversation. He says this, If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Paraphrase, when salt becomes tasteless and loses its power and its punch, what good is it? I answer for you, nothing. We are good for nothing if we're not good, salty Christians in that way. Jesus says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, In my research this week, and this is why I make the big bucks for you researching, the early church applied this verse in a very literal and strange way. In certain places in the early Christian church, they made it a practice that if a Christian played the prodigal, if they got wayward and wished to return into the faith, and to be received back, if they were to receive back, it was conditional on them lying across the door of the church on the ground in penitence and say to people as they entered this, trample upon me who am the salt which has lost its savor. <laughs> Can you imagine a church situation where people say, "Well, you come back, you got to lay down and say that. I mean, it's hard enough. Aren't you glad we don't practice that today? It's hard enough to get wayward people to come back to church. Imagine having to do it. So literally did they take this verse about keeping salt right and alive and pure that they practiced it that way. But I think the point that Jesus is making is this. When we are not being salt, we cease to fulfill the purpose of being here on planet Earth. Salt does no good staying in the shaker. It may look good, and some of y'all have some wonderful, nice, attractive salt shakers. But salt, can I just say this? I'm a simple guy. It's back to basics. Salt is not salt until it contacts something or someone. Until it is used, it is just a nice, attractive reservoir. In fact, salt simply collected in one place for a long period of time without going anywhere Produces something as well. You know what it is? Death. The people listening in their day would have known the lowest place on earth where the most salt was accumulated. They called it the salt sea. We call it the dead sea. All income, in go in your life, no outgo. That makes you dead. That makes you truly salty in a bad way. All in. No out. Oh, that's a whole other sermon. If you just continue to take in, take in, take in, sit and soak, but never out, you're going to die physically and you're going to die spiritually. So we are to be the salt of the earth. Number two in this great sermon, Jesus gives us a second analogy. We are also to be some kind of light. Let me read verse 14 again to you. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl, and so they put it on a stand, gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. It occurred to me that when Jesus is teaching this here, he said, you are the light of the world, not the light of the church. Not Your light Oh, it's great when it shines here, but that's not why he lit you up for him. It's to be a light in the world. But notice the same words as the beginning of the last one. You are salt. You are light. So what are the functions and attributes of light? Well, number one, light illuminates, does it not? It shows the way in the dark. And that's important. And you don't even really have to say, look at me when you turn on a light in a dark room. Instantly, every eye goes to that light, no matter how small or dim or great. Number two, light removes fear. Christians are supposed to do that too. Because when you're a child, right, all of us feared the same thing. We fear the dark, don't we? And you would think as you get a little older that you shouldn't fear the dark. Isn't that kind of true? But I'm here to tell you right now, that's kind of true even when you grow up. I know you love this church, and it's an awesome facility. It's a great little salt shaker that God has given us here. But i got to tell you, I've been alone here at night, and this is a creepy place. <laughs> when you don't think anybody's here, and you're here all alone. Yeah, Years ago, when I was walking through Phase 1 Worship Center, and there was a light on in the stage, it was dark in the room, and I wanted to save money because I knew Jess Atkins would like that. Anyway, I, who's uh, I, <laughs> a really great, frugal guy. Anyway, I, I didn't want to turn on the lights and waste energy, but I wanted to get that light off the stage. So I walked through the dark part of the worship center to go up there to get the stage. And I thought I was the last one to leave the building. And as I was walking down the aisle, one of our staff members had hidden under the seat and reached out and grabbed my leg. <laughs> I spoke in tongues. <laughs> Unfortunately, that staff member is not with us anymore. But anyway, I no. Just in case you're thinking, don't try that now. I'm carrying now. I just want you to know. (laughs) It's a whole other issue there. But we're all kind of afraid of the dark. But someone said this, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when adults are afraid of the light. See, there's a lot of us, a lot of you watching online, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want the light to seek out the dark places and dark people and dark habits of your life. But that's the only way you're going to get better. Light also is unstoppable. It illuminates, it removes fear, it's unstoppable. The power of darkness cannot keep it from working. It is especially powerful when it is focused. We call that a laser. There is nothing this sad and sorry and dark world can do to stop the light when it decides to turn on. Don't throw up your hands in despair. God's not done with this world. Don't throw up your hands and say we can't do anything. Turn on the light. It can't be stopped. Let your light shine. And it's usually not the big ways that you shine. It's not a spotlight. For instance, when you bow your head to pray before a meal in a restaurant and people like check that out, your light shines. When you don't laugh at an off-color joke at the water cooler anymore, your light shines. When you do the right thing even though you think no one is watching, they are, and your light shines. When you post something online that is positive and beneficial instead of another negative rant like everyone else, your light shines bright. I'm sure you watching online and in this room could tonight, as maybe some of your homework, think of all the ways that you could practically apply and let your light shine in ways that you haven't even thought about before. Peter, early follower of Jesus, he made a list of the things that we are in 1 Peter 2.9. He says exactly who we are. Now listen to this list. He ends it with the metaphor that I've been giving and that Jesus gave. But listen to his list. He says, here's who you are. You are a chosen people. 1 Peter 2.9 says, isn't it nice to be chosen? You are a royal people priesthood your sons and daughters of the king but you're priest now some of us who grew up in catholic we say oh no i'm not yeah you are what does a priest do they're inter- intermediaries between god and man that's exactly who you are you're a holy nation in other words your citizenship is in another world friend this world is going down we're going to make all the difference we can but ultimately it's going down the only nation that matters is god's kingdom What we need is a king, not just a president, no matter what their name is. You are citizens of another world. Don't forget where you're going, where your citizenship is. We are a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So today we're dealing in this message with who you are, salt and light this message has to do with identity i'm gonna poke you a little bit sorry not sorry i learned that from jt (laughs) there is not a bigger more highly charged word than identity right now who we identify with who we identify as I've got a great link, by the way, a great Bible study link I'll include in my direct from David. Hope you subscribe to that. It comes out usually Wednesday, Thursday. I'll link that. Sign up for that. Uh, you kind of get the, the, the inside scoop before the weekend comes on stuff that we want you to know. I'm going to send a link to a great Bible study on identity if you're interested. But here's where I'm going. What I am saying today is this. We have to go right now more than ever to who. Jesus says we are and not what the culture says we are. We have to go with what the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, God Almighty says we are. Not the media, not the enemy of our soul, not even who you yourself think you are. Not even your feelings, because your feelings can lie to you. See, if you were to ask people in your family at work, or at school, At home, what does it mean to be a Christian? You would likely get 10 different answers. For some of you have identified with a church for so long, that's who you think you are. Well, I'm just, I'll say, how you doing? Tell me about yourself. Well, my name is Jack Smith or whatever. I'm a Methodist or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a Catholic or I'm a Nazarene or I'm a Tangerine, I'm, I'm something like that. Seldom do people say, I'm a Christian. So since I'm on a roll, let me poke a little bit more, which is always dangerous. Could it be, now let's think about this, could it be that you have been identifying yourself by so many things this year that you forgot your real identification? Could it be that we've identified more as a Republican or a Democrat than we have as a Christian? How's that working out for us? How's that working out for you? And could it be even more so that we are identified as an American and then a Christian? Or could it be that we have been identified primarily by our gender or our wealth or our skin color? See, nothing wrong with having things you identify with that you like and that you're passionate about. Just make sure that Jesus is your primary identity. You are who he says you are first. All those other things take a back seat. They're second. You are a Christian who happens to be dot, dot, dot. You're a Christian who happens to like or have uh, an affiliation with dot, dot, dot. The one thing that will fix this world, friend, is Jesus Christ. The The sooner the world figures that out, the better. We're waiting for him to catch up. It, everything is dividing us right now. I, I've already got emails from the first service. David, I can't believe you said... <laughs> nobody can agree on anything right now. Here's what Christians can agree on. We all can unite on Jesus. Amen. He's the one. So what you tell me what you believe about Jesus, and I'll tell you where your other primary identity fa- found. It's who he says you are. What does Jesus say we are? Matthew 5, 6, 7. That's why one day Jesus prompted his disciples with a question one day he asked his disciples who do people say that i am and the disciples said well some people say you're john the baptist that's your identity some elijah others one of the other prophets then jesus says million dollar question who do you say that i am it's a great question you know i would ask you to you who do you say jesus is not who the pastor says he is Not who your mama said he was, not who your BFF says he is. Peter had to answer, right? Peter was always the first to speak, whether it was good or bad, he spoke up. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We say that when we baptize people and they go all in as their good confession of faith. Peter, man, (laughs) he said the right thing this time. And Jesus said, Hey, Peter, you got that right. You didn't get that because you're not that smart. He just didn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. You didn't get that on your own. You got that from heaven. Why is this important? Because a proper definition of who we are comes directly from our view of who he is. Tell me who he is, and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me who you are or who you think you are, and is it from him or not? Since he's the light of the world, guess what? We've got to be the light of the world. Since Jesus brought zest and flavor and power and purity is salt, we must also do that. If Jesus was a difference maker, we got to be a difference maker. And since Jesus says we're salt and light, here's the good news for you watching online. Just check it out. Try me and see if I'm wrong. Even if you don't believe it's Jesus, see if this doesn't make sense. When you find and figure out who you are in Jesus, it gives your life meaning. Your identity produces your purpose i know there are two kinds of people that wake up every morning, and especially COVID has revealed this. There's a kind of person that wakes up cheery and happy, good morning, Lord. And then there's some of the rest of us, we say, good Lord, it's morning. And we just kind of turn over and go back to sleep. I can tell a lot about what the devil thinks about you when you get up in bed in the morning. Here's how you know. When you get up in the morning, does the devil say, uh-oh, he is up. Uh-oh. She is awake. Are you a threat or are you a yawn and a snooze to the evil one? He's yawning because you're yawning. See, it's all the difference in the world when you get up in the morning and say, Good Lord, it's morning. I can't wait to get going here. God, think of the salt, the light. I don't know what this great adventure is going to be like, but I'm so glad we're on it. Friend, there's nothing better than given purpose than to know you're serving the one. You're reflecting the one who is salt and light. So let me give you three I am's from this section of the greatest sermon ever preached. This might be what you say every morning when you get up when an alarm clock goes off. And some of y'all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, I'll get some emails and you'll say, David, I did it. I said, good morning, Lord. Here's the three things before you even get out of bed. Number one, you should say, I am different. As a Christ follower who is salt and light, I am indifferent not weird different don't be that don't be that guy don't be that gal who's a christian who's obnoxious you've heard of drive-by shootings well there are a lot of christians who practice drive-by shoutings like i see the guy every time i go down to Bengals and the reds I, I don't god love him i admire his dedication but i'm telling you i don't think he's successful These are people, you know them, who like are always looking to spin the conversation in a way that is a little awkward. These are people at a movie who are already in a seat. Now, this would be pre-COVID. The theater's packed and there's an empty seat. These are the people when you go up and say, is this seat saved? No, but the question is, are you saved? (laughs) (laughs) Don't be that person. But you are to be distinctly different. You're not supposed to act like the world, friend. Somebody should look at you and say, that's something different about them. I don't even know what it is. But they are not the same as everybody else. That's the distinctiveness of following Jesus Christ. They seem to be more honest. They seem to have some passions that are different. They seem to be willing to serve. Can people tell you right now, those that know you best, could they tell you right now if you're a Christian or not just by looking and listening to you? You ought to be different. Not weird, different. Number two, I am needed. Say to yourself all the time, I'm needed. Our world is in horrible shape, friends. It's dark, it's decayed, it's divided. Do you need any additional proof after this week? I I was horrified. I was heartbroken for so many reasons this week. I have been for some time. If ever there was a time for Christians to be stronger salt and brighter light, it is now. Friend, the time is short. I'm convinced that Jesus is coming, and some of my family and friends are not ready for him to come. I'm watching people every day on TV. They're not ready for him to come. Are you ready for him to come? The devil knows his time is short as well. You are needed right now. If ever there was a time for white water to be the light and the salt, it is now. Number three, I am different. I'm needed. I am influential. You can make a difference. Somebody say, "No, no, I couldn't do that." Oh yeah, I read about Officer Tori Matthews of the Southern California Humane Society. She got an emergency call one day—a pet, a boy's pet iguana had been scared up a tree by a neighbor's dog, and then the iguana fell fell out of the tree and into the swimming pool, sinking like a brick. Officer Matthews quickly burst into action. She came over with a net. She dived into the pool, emerging seconds later with the pet's limp body. And as the newspaper reported, she thought, well, you do CPR on a person, why not an iguana? So she placed her lips to the iguanas, She said, now that I look back on it, it was a pretty ugly animal to be kissing. But the last thing I wanted to do was tell that little boy his pet iguana had died. Amazingly, the lizard responded to her efforts, is expected to make a full recovery. All because Officer Matthews didn't see a waterlogged reptile, she saw a little boy's beloved pet. Friend, what do you think God sees when he looks at other people? He sees people who are greatly in need of a Savior. He sees people whom he died for and deeply loves. I'm telling you, go kiss some lizards this week. That's my application for it. <laughs> Be salt and light to them. Serve them. Pray them for them. Why? Because he told us to. It's who we are. Campaign for Jesus. That's what we've been saying. Because hell is hot. And I think real people are going there. Because he told us to as his ambassadors. You're an ambassador. And tragically, there's too many ambassadors hanging out in the embassy. I mean, what is God like really going to say to us when we get to heaven someday? Hey, you whitewater people, I put you in a wonderful $25 million salt shaker. It's so cool. You had spotlights and strobe lights and moving lights. You had all kinds of lights. But you didn't do anything with it. Friend, it does salt no good unless it gets out of this shaker. That's your job. You are an ambassador for Jesus. You are Jesus. You are salt. You are light. Go shine. Go spread. Don't let's just not sit in our nice little salt shaker here. It's wonderful, but it's not the purpose of why we're put on planet Earth. What have we learned from the first and the world's greatest teacher in this greatest sermon ever preached. What you do is determined by who you think you are. What you do is determined by who you think you are. I've been listening to interviews of some of the knuckleheads that moved over there to Washington, and some of them have been moving all over the country this year. And I bet if you listened to their interviews long enough, you would discern their action. Because of who they think they are, they have been acting out naturally with who they think they are because they don't know who they are. They've gone off the rails. I was thinking about this week. Imagine if the passion you've seen over this last year by all protests of all kinds, if that passion was channeled for the kingdom of God, what kind of difference would we make in this world? It's a misdirected passion. By people that Jesus loves. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. Who you what you do is determined by who you think you are. For instance, if you were told consistently, as some of you were growing up, that you were no good, you'll never amount to anything, you're a failure, that likely became its own self-fulfilling prophecy, and you just simply are acting and living that out right now. That's why Paul said you need made new, we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds, as a man thinketh in his heart so is he and that's why Jesus and God often changed people's names because they just couldn't break out this is so good they couldn't break out of their current situation until God pronounced them with a new situation their current identity had to change to embrace their future destiny they the names they used to call themselves and other people called them We're not going to contain the new name written by him. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about because you got named names and you got a new name now. For instance, in the Gospels, there's a guy named John. He was the son of Zebedee and he had a brother named James. And James and John were fishermen with a reputation. In fact, their reputation was so well known that they had a tagline assigned to it. People called James and John the sons of thunder. Now, just the FYI, you don't get that nickname by being president of the Ladies' Tea Society. <laughs> these were the guys that rode around on Harleys and got in bar fights and probably rioted and pillaged. These were the guys, I can tell you, when they came into town, probably uh, riding those Harleys, Sons of Thunder neck tattoos. You know, these guys are not the people you would want to invite over for dinner all the time. So how shocking it must have been when Jesus says, uh, you two sons of thunder, follow me. I'm going to make you two of the 12 that follow me the closest. How shocking that would have been to people. One time Jesus came to a town with those 12, James and John included, and the town didn't receive them very well. And James and John went up to Jesus and said, hey, Lord, let's call down fire from heaven and just destroy those people. Let's light them up. Nice. But when you are a son of thunder, that's how you respond. That's how you act. You don't know any better. But then something happened to John. Jesus happened to John. They started spending more time together talking, and Jesus gave John a different way to think about life. More importantly, he gave him a way how to think about himself. Turns out, and some of you are proof of this, it turns out that Jesus can deal with raw and rough and rowdy if it's real and if it's redeemed. And he can use any vessel, even if it's cracked, as long as it's clean. How do we know this? Because eventually John started calling himself by a different name. He couldn't think of himself anymore as a son of thunder because he was overwhelmed with this new identity and purpose. What was his purpose and identity then? Love. It says in John 21, the gospel that John wrote, He's speaking about himself. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Do you hear the language? Words matter. He's no longer John the fisherman. No longer a son of thunder. He's the one that Jesus loves. And that new identity led him to write another book later on in the New Testament. I call it Little John. First John. It's a book that's only like two pages long, but includes the word love more than 30 times. Look it up. And eventually over the years, people started calling John by a new nickname. He was not son of thunder anymore. You know what they started calling him? The Apostle of love. That's his reputation now. He's now stronger, salt, and brighter light because he's the one that Jesus loved. I know that many of you, and it's a great conversation starter that I use, many of you have tattoos and you have ink on your body, and every one of those tats tells a story, tells who you are. I remember so well a great gal who eventually got baptized here, but put off her baptism for a long time because he had a tat On her arm that said pure evil. Until she realized that wasn't who she was. That's who she told herself she was. Or somebody else told her that's who she was. But it wasn't who Jesus said she was. And now she's a pure Christian. She was like John. The one that Jesus loves. So if you're going to get a tattoo and get another new one. Maybe that's the one best to mark you with. The one that Jesus loves. The one of your true identity. The one Jesus loves. And he loves you. I mean, church this size never know your name. But it doesn't matter if I know your name. He knows your name. And he knows your new name. So go this week and intentionally start being salt and light. And that's the beginning of the greatest sermon on earth and it's the beginning of the greatest change that could take place in our culture so friend there are defining moments in a church and in a culture and this is one right now friend we gotta decide who we are are we gonna identify with Jesus or are we not are you gonna be a Jesus follower or are you not it's okay if it's not but don't act like you are You are whitewater. You are Christ's follower. So how bright is your light? And how strong is your salt? Because right now is when the church of Jesus Christ needs you more than ever. So I appeal to you on behalf of the Lord. Be the church. Be the light. Be the salt. It's who you are. And someday when we get to heaven... We'll get to bow down and cast our crowns at his feet because of who he is. And I celebrate that.